Well, good morning. Uh, I was thinking about that last song. Could it really be 24 years old? I start feeling old when I see things like that. Um, so we're going to be talking over the next couple weeks, really looking uh, at the Ten Commandments, but specifically the Ten Commandments, the way Jesus looked at the Ten Commandments. Uh, and we're going to talk about it kind of from the perspective of if this is what they were told to do and what not to do, then what are, uh, how are we to treat it, right? If that's what Israel was told, what about us as Christians and followers of Christ? And so really, these are going to be goals, maybe our purpose, our the way in which we're going to live and, and living up then to expectations, uh, there's a lot. And we're going to look at the ones that, that, that should matter most. I have to tell you, I don't know, you might be like me. I get a text at least once a week letting me know that my Amazon account has been locked or that my PayPal account has been accessed in another city or state or country. I don't even have a PayPal account. But I've also been notified that the FBI has opened an investigation. I have potentially won the lottery in Ireland. And all I need to do is click this link, give the information that might be vital... But how do I know what's real? You realize that the IRS, if they want to contact you, will contact you by first-class mail, not by text, not by an email that says, you know, IRS at Gmail. You will know that it's real because it will be through official channels. The really important thing is that we are bombarded by messaging. And, and a lot of it seems uh, tempting. It seems interesting. It seems valid. How will we know what the actual valid message of what we should value is in the same way it will be by official channels it won't be by email or text asking you to provide account information password mother's maiden name and your social security number by the way don't do those things and because you will get all kinds of messaging, you will get bombarded by what you should value and what will make you happy. It will be either overt or explicit. It will be subliminally or clandestinely uh, asserted what you will need. If you accept those recommendations... If you follow the link, if you accept it as valid, then you might very well be led astray by those unsolicited phishing emails, those images on social media, 
we need to know what the proper channels are. How do we know what's really important? The good news is that Jesus provided the proper channels, right? He got through it all and he said, this is it. This is what's most important. So what should we value? What expectation should we seek to live up to in this life? And so Jesus answered it. It's, it's right there in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to start reading in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, right? Because they kept coming to him and challenging him. And he silenced them with wisdom in teaching in ways they had never heard before. So the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? You realize this is a trap, right? It's a trap because no matter what Jesus says, he's going to be challenged, right? If you choose one, if you say something like, well, the most important is to have no other God before Yahweh, then he would be challenged with, so murdering's okay? This is a no-win scenario. There's no way that he could offer a suggestion and answer it and say, this is most important without it also negating other parts of the law. And so Jesus, the teacher, right, they often called rabbi, chose to teach. He gave them the greatest commandment and the second. And so we'll focus today primarily on the first and next week on the second. This is in verse 37. This is how Jesus replied. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest, the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so by answering that way, he didn't say this is number one and this is number two. He didn't rank them. He said, this is it. This is the whole of it. Two things that seemingly don't go together, commandments and love. But that's the key, love. The kind of love here in verse 37 and 39, the Greek word is agape. And much has been talked about agape. It's the, the Greek word of love that means maybe unconditional love. And, and I want you to think about it in terms of sacrificial love. Because often in our culture, when we hear the word love, we don't think biblically about the word love. But it is so important that when you see the word in scripture, and you hear Jesus say the words, love the Lord your God in this way that you think sacrificially, unconditionally love the Lord your God. And so he actually breaks it up. He says, this is how you're going to love the Lord. He says three different things here and then one more in Luke. First of all, he says, love the Lord with your heart. And so when we tend to think of your heart as maybe 
an emotion or romantic love uh, in the old cartoons when when someone, a character sees someone else that they're attracted to or they love, they have little hearts in their eyes, right? So heart, you think of that. Yet that's not the picture of heart that we get here. It's actually much more like the high school football coach at halftime that says, look guys, if we're going to win this, you've got to have heart. You see, when he says, love the Lord with your heart, he means love God with your determination. That's the key. Do you determine, do you decide this is it? When things get tough, stick with the Lord. You see, we have not been guaranteed that in this life, things are going to be peachy keen. We have not been told that if you follow Christ, everything is going to be easy going. In fact, we were told the opposite, that if you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, things are going to get rough. In this life, you will have trouble, he said. Well, that's true today, just like it was in the first century. In the first century, the church was persecuted. Right, he doesn't say, well, you know, things will be bad, but, but you'll be okay in, in, come on, 21st century Southern California, it's not so bad. I've not been threatened to be round up and thrown in jail, even in the middle of COVID, right? That's not the danger we face. That was the danger they faced. Yet in this life, things aren't going to be perfect all the time. Yet we were reassured by Jesus. He says, look, you're going to have trouble, but I have overcome the world. So we have hope. So we need to, even when things are good, things are challenging, we need to trust and with determination, love the Lord. First Corinthians 9, 24 and following. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that, that race that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So do not run aimlessly. Do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. And so if you have done athletics at all, you understand this. In fact, if you're like, well, I'm not an athlete. I'm kind of more a musician or an artist or something. It's the exact same thing. You have to be disciplined. He uses that picture of, of beating his body, disciplining his body. It's that there are all kinds of things that, that will distract and pull him away. Yet, if I'm going to run the race to win the imperishable prize, I'm going to stick with it with determination. I'm not going to just get by, just kind of cruise through. Eh, I show up to church, it's kind of nice, I like the songs. But I'm just cruising by. No, there's a point at which we have to say, you know what? It's going to be hard, but I'm going to keep at it with determination. It's possible 
to put on a show for others and neglect that self-control. Yet, with determination, with heart, we stick with it. Love the Lord with your heart. And then he says, love the Lord with your soul. Well, wait a minute. Your soul? What does that mean? Well, your soul means your life. It means everything about you, you're to love the Lord, sacrificially, unconditionally. Here's the problem. We don't know how to sacrificially, unconditionally live because we're taught constantly that it's all about you. There is no greater good in America today than self-autonomy. And yet that's not my understanding of what it means to follow Christ. It's not about me. And those two are constantly at odds. It's not about what I want. It's not about what makes me happy. It's about what honors God. Because I could do everything in this life for me. I could gain everything. Scripture says I could gain the world yet in eternity be in hell, that I would gain the world, yet lose my soul. So I have to understand that it's about my life. It's about eternity. It's not about me. And so everything that I am, my past and present, my future, my hopes and dreams, my fears and challenges, I give everything to God and say, this is all for you because it's not so much about me. I think that's a hard one for a lot of people because especially when you're younger, it's like, well, I've got time to fix that. I can do something later, but, but now I'm, I'm for me kind of the older you get, the easier it is to say, okay, I'm running out of time now. Okay. Now I'm willing to make some sacrifices when you're young. It's hard, but, but you will not regret making sacrifices when you're younger that the older you get, People that have walked with the Lord for a long time. The only regret they have is they didn't do it sooner. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at with all your heart. There's that heart again. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Well, there it is. Whatever you do, you work as for the Lord. If you're a student, you study as for the Lord. If you're a parent, you parent as for the Lord. If you're an employee, you work as for the Lord. What about... What about those things that you do and you're like, I'm not so sure I can do this for God's glory, right? If I do this, would it really glorify God? Well, that's probably one of those things you shouldn't be doing, right? If you can't say I'm, I'm committing this to glorify God, if that's one of those, don't do that, then that's something you ought not do. You can't knock over a gas station for the glory of God. That's the extreme, right? All right, it's not about not, but there are things that we do. We're like, can I really do this for the glory of God? 
Love the Lord with your heart, your soul, and your mind, he says. Well, you guys know this one pretty clearly. It means love God with your thoughts. With your thoughts, the the things you think about. This one can be tough. It means that there are not just what you do that you do for the Lord. It's how you think that you do for the Lord. That's why Paul, in his letter to the church in uh, Colossae, he said, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And goes, look, it's not just the things you do, it's the things that you think. Sin starts in the mind first. Seldom do we fall into sin. You know, one of the Greek words for sin is uh, skandalon. You hear the word scandal in there. And it actually has the, uh, the image of, of something that you might uh, trip over. You kind of catch your foot as you're walking. That's a, a skandalon. And so there's that picture of you're walking through your life and you, you, you trip your, your toe on something and you fall into sin. It's actually used very seldom in scripture. Because that's not... Most of the sin we do, most of the sin we do, we, we kind of plan out, right? It's not, it's not uh, third degree sin, it's first degree. We planned it out, depending on how far in advance. And so realize that if sin starts in the mind, it's that entertaining thought, you know, you ought not. We need to be on guard with our thoughts. What you watch, what you read, what you stream and surf. There is a a reason that Instagram replaced Facebook and TikTok is replacing Insta, right? Isn't Insta? That's the cool way to say it, right? Like the kids say. There's a reason because they are so image-based and those images bombard you. And all of a sudden you start to think that whatever you're watching is common and normal and average and it's okay. These, is it uh, any wonder that these platforms are being used to teach all kinds of behavior? Because it works. We need to be on guard and aware. So in Matthew, Jesus said, love the Lord with your heart and your soul and your mind. And then that same uh, action, Luke actually records that he also says, and strength. I like that one. All your strength. That means love God with your effort. Right? Everything you can do, you need to sacrificially do in service to the Lord. What can you do for God? And this means the places you go, your effort and hard work, right? Often you think about 
the, uh, the work that needs to be done at church. There are so many things that have to happen at church that are just work. And realize that church can't happen unless those things occur. Well, that's just one example, but it's a pretty good idea that if I'm going to serve God, I got to go in and do the work. I have to get in and do it. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, right? The strength he gives me is that by which I can do for him whatever he has called me to do. And so he says that you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the first. And the second, he says, well, it's, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then these two sum up the law and the prophets. How does that work, right? If you say, well, I've got two commandments and those two commandments are the greatest and the second. And if you put those together, that sums up all of the law and prophets, right? That's it. How does that work? Well, the 10 commandments are found in Deuteronomy 5, 7 through 21, 10 commandments. They're not like traffic laws, right? As long as you don't break these, you won't get a ticket, right? I think that's the way we kind of think about it, right? There's a reason we, we go, well, let's inscribe those and put those on the wall of our schools and, and our, our, Uh, courthouses and things like that. And there's debate whether it should be there yet. It's not so much like that. Just don't not do those things. We need to think about them instead, the way they were given to the Jewish people, his people, the chosen people of God. Shouldn't there be a difference in the behavior of God's chosen people? So here it is. I'm going to read through. This is just the first four. And like I said, next week, we'll look at the second commandment and then the last six of the 10 commandments. So verse seven of Deuteronomy five, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth Beneath or in the waters below, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. And so that's the first four of the Ten Commandments. And those four all pertain to our relationship with God, right? If you're going to be Holy, if you're going to live up to expectations that matter, your relationship with God should be paramount. This is essential. And again, it's not a list. I've got four, man, I can do this, right? I just need to not break those, those four. No, these are a description of what you're going to do. If you're committed to serving the Lord, you're going to, to live up to these in some way. So the first one, he said, you'll have no other God before me. What does that mean? It does mean exactly what it says. God first, right? God is going to be first in your life. He's going to be the priority. This is really about consciously choosing God first and that there are lots of other things 
that will vie for your attention and want to be first in your life. You guys know what they are because at different times we struggle with different things, right? It might be some sort of, of selfishness. It might be the, the attraction to another person. It might be some sort of sexuality. It might be some sort of drugs or alcohol. It, it, it could be just a desire. What matters most is my job. What matters most is this, this activity, right? These things become first in our life and it, it isn't what God's chosen people do. Yet as soon as that happens, it's actually hard to follow everything else because those things become most important. It's not so much about uh, the objects. In fact, the second one about idolatry very much is about the objects, the things, right? He says, you should, shall ha- make no uh, image in the form of anything in heaven or above or below, right? That's the idolatry. We don't typically carve statues and go, that's going to be the thing I worship. Although that's certainly happened in history. Instead, there are other things, other objects that become uh, items of worship. And those are the things we have to be on guard about. It's probably a good idea to routinely and regularly stop and to ask, is this become an idol in my life? Has this become the most important thing? to me. It could be, it could even be really good things, right? It doesn't have to be bad things, right? It could be good things. The good things in your life could become an idol. I, I heard a pastor one time say, uh, is your kid's grade an idol in your life? And I went, Oh no, he might be talking about me today, right? That maybe my kids being successful, my, my kids grades that, you know, going to the, the kids sports on Saturday, if them being doing well, is that an idol for me? That's serious, right? Because it's not so much that, man, I need to get my check mark today. I, I, I got to sign off on this. I don't want to get a ticket. No, it's if I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I need to make sure I don't have an idol that I've put before him. There's a danger of that. He said, you shouldn't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Depending on the translation you're reading, it may say, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Right? Don't misuse it. Don't take it in vain. There's a sense that you could be disrespectful in regard to the name of the Lord. And I don't just mean the uh, maybe swear words that some people choose to use in regard to whatever's going on in their life and that they're using the name of God in an inappropriate way, although it could be that. I actually think it has more to do when you take the name of the Lord and you call yourself a Christian and that's where it ends. You just call yourself a Christian. You've now taken it in vain. You, you own it and you say, I'm a Christian and you know that your behavior and your actions, you've now 
brought dishonor to the name of Christ. Right? It would be like whatever uh, your family name is and the way you act and behave reflects on your family by calling yourself Christian and attending church and all of those things that you now reflect God and your actions can, can glorify him or dishonor him. Well, that's serious. We need to be aware of that. And then the last one, this is one I actually get a lot of questions about that. Uh, he says, observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy as the Lord has commanded you. Well, the Sabbath for the Jews was Saturday. And in many languages, the word for Saturday is derived from the word Sabbath, like in Spanish. But if we're to keep the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law, right? And they were doing this in the first century. In the first century, Christians met on Sunday. Now, they were often together with the, the Jews in uh, synagogue on Saturday, but on Sunday is when Christians met. And the reasons Christians met on Sunday was Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. And so from the very first, the church met on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. And the church still today does. Now, how do we keep the spirit of the law, right? What is it that we should do in regard to the Sabbath? It's a day to keep holy. It's a day to, to do church. In fact, I like uh, the writer of Hebrews says this, and I think it's a good indication of what we ought to do in regard to the Sabbath. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Is that the Sabbath? That's a picture of the Sabbath. That's what we're to do as Christians, as a church, to, to meet together, to encourage one another. I like the words, uh, the way it's translated here, stir one another up. I, I picture a pot and you're stirring each other up and, and everyone together in the church is going, yes, let's do this. It sounds like a rally. Do you guys feel rallied? We need to work on this. Victor, you're on it. This is how to love the Lord. Okay, so if this is the greatest commandment, if this is essential, right? If this is the purpose and the description that we are given as Christians, this is the, what is used to describe us. Then this becomes the expectation in our life that matters. And that means it trumps the expectations that others have for you. It trumps the expectations that you might have for yourself. Because it's God's expectation for you that matters most. If maybe you're new at this, then I would just encourage you a little bit of reflection. What is it that I need to, to do? It's not so much about, I need to check off what not to do. It's what do I need to 
do? How do I need to honor God most? I have some next steps for us today. First of all, my next step today is to commit to love the Lord with my whole life. It means I'm not going to compartmentalize parts of my life away from God, right? God, you've got Sunday. Maybe one day during the week, I'll do the community group thing. You can have that. If I'm on the phone with someone from church or family, okay. But, but there's other parts of my life that, that, that you can't have because I kind of like the things I do. Now I'm going to commit to love the Lord sacrificially with my whole life. The second one there, my next step today is to confide in a prayer partner to hold me accountable. Might be to those things that we've held back from God. We're going to offer up and say, here it is. This is one of those areas I struggle. I've kept back from you. And so we invite someone to help hold us accountable to that. And then I left the last one blank. So maybe something that God has kind of made clear to you today. You can fill that in. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We're grateful that uh, you are a God who, who loved us. There was nothing we could do on our own. That it's not us coming to you saying, we want to love you. How do we do it? It was you who in our weakness and in our despair, when we were enemies, your word says, that's when Christ died. That's when you sent Jesus to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, that we might believe and be saved. And, and you're content with us as we are, not to maybe leave us as we are, but that we don't have to do something before we say, okay, I'll believe. Your word's so clear. We have so many examples of people trusting you and coming and and saying, here I am, what do I need to do before getting everything cleaned up ourselves before we could believe? We can just believe and then trust you to help us. Father, if there's some areas in our life where we need to commit, we need to remove the compartments and say, here it is, my whole life, it's yours. Father, help us to do that. Father, I thank you for your, your love and your grace, forgiving us when we fail, trusting us to move forward, and entrusting us with the name of your son as Christians. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.